Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse, and is brought to you in part by Consequence of Sound, the web's foremost source for music and film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to State of the Empire, the Star Wars speculation podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hi, I'm Matt. It's been a while, folks. Uh, we're, we're glad to be back. We're sorry it's been so long. Uh, award season is, uh, is a tough time for us. But we're back, and now, it's, it's, now I can focus the rest of the year on Star Wars, which is how I prefer to spend my year. <laughs> As I'm sure you can imagine, there's a lot to cover. This might be a bit of a beefy episode. And, of course, we're coming to you the week of Star Wars Celebration, which we're going to be attending. So expect an episode of State of the Empire next week. And in fact, expect uh, a nice flow of State of the Empire episodes because there's a couple things you're not going to hear us talk about in this episode. We're not going to talk about uh, the things we've learned about Rogue One since the film's release because our, our last episode was us reviewing Rogue One immediately after seeing the film. Um, and uh, you're not going to hear us talk about the uh, incredible stuff happening in the later half of the third season of Star Wars Rebels. Both of those things are going to be relegated to their own separate State of the Empire episodes coming a little bit down the line. In this episode, we got to talk about all the stuff that's happened, both good and bad. Um, for example, we lost Carrie Fisher since we recorded last. It uh, feels like it's been a very long time already. And uh, we have a title for Star Wars Episode Eight. It's called The Last Jedi, which, um, spoiler alert, but not, is plural. Um According to where was that Matt? There was some 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 translation of the poster that from well, another country that was uh, even even since then, uh, like Disney's been very on top of it. In certain languages, they've translated the title singular, and certain ones they've translated it plural, as if to throw uh -oh. off the English speakers completely. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so I don't know what to think anymore. Oh jeez. <laughs> okay, well, we'll try to straighten out this mess. Um, we've got some casting announcements for uh, Han Solo and uh, many things to be excited about. Many, many things to be excited about, but uh, also some things to be fearful of. If this is your first time with us, well, uh, don't worry about the spoilers. We've got all that taken care of. we got a little feature called the Blast Doors, and that's at the end of the episode when we're wrapping things up and we still have more to say. We're going to open those Blast Doors, and when we do that, and we'll be very clear about that, you're going to want to skedaddle if you're not in the mood for Star Wars spoilers. Um, on the front end of it, we're going to talk about things happening in Episode 8, but it's going to be things that I've sort of handpicked as stuff that I would consider to be 
things you would probably see in a trailer and that are not or on an action figure that are not going to be spoilers. They're more like just insights as to what you'll see shortly, maybe as soon as this coming week. So let's let's talk about The Last Jedi, Star Wars Episode eight. We're probably going to see some Episode seven footage, probably going to see a trailer this coming week. We don't know what we're going to see, but we're going to see something. I'm dead set on that. I'm, it's got to happen. But some folks have already seen some Episode Eight footage and uh, because it was uh, shown at a shareholders meeting. And fortunately, one of those kind people sort of tweeted everything that, uh, that was there. And uh, not, not too much to speak of, but, but here's a sort of a trailer for your mind before you, know, you actually see these clips. <laughs> you probably will. Luke on a, an, in a hut on Octo asking Ray, who are you? Uh, Finn in a First Order uniform on the bridge of a Star Destroyer or other big ship. General Leia. Several shots showing Rey spinning her lightsaber in practice. Captain Phasma. Chewie roaring. Poe in his X-Wing cockpit yelling, It's now or never! to (laughs) BB-8. Ships flying in space and an X-Wing coming in for a crash landing. More recently, Jason Ward of Making Star Wars, who's privy to a lot of shockingly accurate sneak peeks, recently tweeted... The Last Jedi looks like the Star Wars prequels took Game of Thrones on a date and they had a baby called The Last Jedi. That actually doesn't help me at all. I, I, I don't understand how, that, how those <laughs> things work. Well, I mean, they did a lot of filming in very similar locations, you know, the Ireland and Iceland. So I, that, that's one way I took that. But at the same time, like, I would like to think that it's because they're actually embracing the sort of like medieval knights aesthetic that i was expecting force awakens to have as we you know we're hearing things about like maz kanata's castle and the knights of ren and like all these things that sound a lot more medieval than samurai i guess so yeah i I don't know which which direction that leans in yeah but i think it's at least bodes well from a visual aspect because there was some interesting stuff in the prequels. It was just all the things coming out of people's mouths that was really terrible. Right. So, <laughs> so if we get a more mature version of the extremely diverse, all new, all different Star Wars that the prequels could have represented and kind of did, then all right, I'm in. One of the uh, key components to the locations they've been filming, and one of the things we know about is Dubrovnik, which we've talked about extensively in the past. They've been filming this in this just really cool neck of the woods, uh, weird, weird futuristic medieval-looking structures, which and, uh, um, was is used for King's Landing in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it was has become like we were, we we're kind of we we're assessing what is it like. There are people like there are well-dressed aliens there. We're like, is it Han Solo's funeral? Um, What's why does this look kind of James Bondy Casino Royale like? Well, it's started to be referred to as the casino set in leaks that are coming out, and uh, making Star Wars reports that the name of the planet is Canto Bight, uh, which is B I G H T. Though that's they actually said that they don't know how it's spelled uh, exactly, but that's how they're like. So it's like Blight, but without an L, um, and that's also possible. It's a code name, but they seemed pretty sure. Um, there were police-looking figures in some of the photos we'd seen, and uh, apparently there were also jail cells, which has been evidenced by some drone photography from Pinewood last year that showed something that looked like jail cells. And this all might be tied to a character that we know basically nothing about, and that is the... Uh, we don't even know if it's a hero or a villain, 
Benicio del Toro's character. But we do have a code name for him. There's a margin of possibility that this is his name, but uh-uh, no way, no way, not at all. And that's DJ. <laughs> so uh, Benicio del Toro as DJ in Star Wars. Sure thing. Yeah, no, that's a code name. Darth Janitor. <laughs> Unless like his first name is DJ, like it's like DJ something. <laughs> like is is is, is or maybe, his smuggler maybe name? He just he is a DJ on the casino world well okay there's some visual things that could aid that theory (laughs) um he's been referred to as kind of a man in black kind of vibe he's got he's he's all black he's got a trench coat with a han solo style belt at his waist uh to hold his blaster his hair short he wears a cap without a bill and uh he's been described as looking really skeezy but conversely and this is where the whole dj thing comes in his ship has been described as looking really fancy. So he looks like garbage, but all the stuff around him looks like hot shit. Um, from, uh, from making Star Wars, they described, the interior looks like something you would see from Canto Blight. It looks like if someone took the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films and designed the interior of the Falcon for a new Trek film. The cockpit has a very nice singular red seat for him to pilot from. The back of the ship, there's a communal section like the Falcon where a crew could sit and socialize, but instead of, a, of dingy white seats, the chessboard, he has a very nice, bright, curved blue booth with a table. Uh, looks like a nice hotel more than something Han Solo would live in. And uh, they think that maybe maybe he's like in jail. Maybe that these jail cells and this guy are somehow related. This is This is all like... All that stuff you could consider true, all the aesthetic stuff. Making Star Wars has a good track record, as I mentioned. But uh, this is where the heavy speculation comes into play. Maybe Finn and Kelly Marie Tran's character break him out of a j- out of jail as part of a casino plot. Um, we're gonna talk about a hacker character in a moment that like that could get all tied in. Maybe these two characters somehow are doing some kind of a heist. Um, which maybe would, Del Toro which would fit into the the Ryan Johnson aspect really well. If they were, That's true. Yeah, he does have a penchant for that. Um, uh, maybe he, maybe Del Toro dresses scummy so people will think he's scum, but actually he's an expert gambler. Um, or maybe they just steal the ship. All of that's very possible. So we've actually we've got some photos of the uh, supposed jail cells. If you're interested in that, we'll be linking to everything we mentioned visually on this episode's page, as always. There's a lot, a lot going on on uh, the. On Casino Bright, <laughs> it like I feel like once like the 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 real like spoiler reports come out, it's all gonna start to like very quickly make sense how everything goes down. But it just seems like it go in so many different directions. I remember when it seemed pretty clear that it was like a a Han Solo type, you know, or Han Solo funeral. Like it's just it's gone in so many different directions, and there's the crazy very tall giraffe horses that were seen on set that people very <laughs> recently found in Rogue One, by the way. I don't know if you if you saw oh, that news. Sh- no, I didn't, but I did see Rogue One art featuring those creatures. Yes, they're, they are very, very uh, briefly seen on a very wide shot of Jeddah City. And they're, they're off in the corner walking with stormtroopers on the back of them. So huh. it looks like they'll be making a, a much more prominent appearance in Last Jedi. Weird. That's cool. Yeah. Well, the the other weird. confusing thing was the 
uh, shot of the stormtroopers on wire rigs being flown around either by an explosion or by a force wielder. Ah, oh, please be Luke. Please be Luke. Please be Luke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should also mention that the the weirdness of those creatures carrying over from Rogue One. We're gonna get into that in a moment. That that is not the only carryover creature in this film from the you know the movie in the past having shit that shows up in this movie in the future it's all connected (laughs) where's the stan lee Um, cameo (laughs) oh man i do not ever want to see that but also i would laugh pretty hard (laughs) (laughs) actually george george should be doing that right like it might be too late now but i really think he should have been making stan lee style cameos you know, if they just stick Stan Lee in like the bullshit, like winking at the camera sequences, like three PO's cameo and Rogue One, uh-huh. if they just stuck Stan Lee in there, I'd be like, I get it, it's a joke, that's okay now. But instead, <laughs> it makes me mad because it's so pandering. Uh. So, Dubrovnik, right? Pretty cool, weird place. Well, there's another pretty cool, weird place that's gotten a little bit less coverage as to a, uh, and it's also Dubrovnik was definitely a Star Wars shoot. This one. There's still some ambiguity as to whether or not it was Star Wars. I'm pretty certain that it was Star Wars, but Bolivia. Uh, For two days in June, it's been reported that a second unit Star Wars crew shot at Salar de Uñuni, which I probably said wrong, the world's largest salt flat in Bolivia. It's super weird out there, gorgeous, super cool. It's basically like a place where there's water on the ground and you see the sky reflected in the water and it just is a big old mirror world out there. Um, none of the actors or protagonists of the film participated, but Bolivian actors were used. In the supposed scene filmed, uh, they recorded a group of stormtroopers running by the Salar, which I guess is the, the salt flat water. Um, and there was some kind of scaffolding supporting what looked like a ship's cockpit. And we do have pictures of this. Not of the stormtroopers, but of the cockpit. So, make of that what you will, but so far, the locations in this movie are top-notch shit. I'm very excited. Um, The First Order's got some new gear. We know a little bit. Um, In a prior episode, we discussed what was being referred to as the Executioner Stormtrooper with a bladed electric staff of some kind. Well, apparently... Phasma gets flanked by two Executioners. They're her posse, and she has something, too, but different. Um... (laughs) <laughs> the the quote from a source is you're going to love Captain Phasma's spear she looks killer make of that what you will maybe she'll actually be cool in this movie we can hope I feel like that ship may have sailed unless they can do some really really like special stuff with her she was just very lame in Force Awakens if, if you tell me if someone were to tell me that one of the guards flanking her would just be the TR-8R from, <laughs> I would be more excited about that than seeing Captain Phasma do something cool. It is amazing how borderline impossible it is to redeem how hard they shat all over that character in Force Awakens. She was an afterthought. I'm I'm convinced the more I watch Force Awakens that like so much of an afterthought that like they filmed a lot, you know, most of the movie without her. And that's why like she kind of looks like she's not actually on um Jakku when she approaches uh Kylo Ren. Like, I think, like, they just digitally inserted her later and, you know, have her saying, like, you know, what about the villagers? She's not in any other shot. And I think they just are like, ooh, make sure she's there. And she was, like, a late addition to the movie. 
So there's uh, a lot more potential for her because I think now it's like, oh, wait, now we actually have, you know, she's now on board. We have time to do something with her. Uh, Matt, that's a very reasonable theory, and I would love to confirm that. If you, the listeners, have uh, any uh, info as to that, as whether or not that's that's maybe true, please do let us know. I don't know about all that, but... Uh, it, it, it looks pretty pretty bad when you really look at it. Well, I mean, either way, they literally gave her the shaft. They yeah. threw her down a shaft. <laughs> like you, it's it literally. They just took her character, threw her down a sh- down like a garbage chute shaft, and forgot about her. That's it. How are they going to explain how she escapes? I mean, they can't really, but I guess they will someday. Maybe somehow. Who the fuck knows? Ooh, I want a Marvel one shot that is just her trying to get out of the Star Killer garbage chute. <laughs> yeah, I'd read that. <laughs> um, so, meanwhile, uh, next time we see her, she has a red arm. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this film is the Empire Strikes Back of this new trilogy, after all. So, um, we can hope that it's not going to be as blatant a parallel or any parallel like Force Awakens was. But it does have its own unique brand of AT-AT, the First Order Heavy Assault Walkers. They uh, are not the same walkers shown in the Starkiller Base Parade Grounds. They are double the size of an AT-AT, and they were called Gorilla Walkers informally by some uh, people during production. Um, and making Star Wars, they do this thing where sometimes they'll, um, they'll be shown materials that they can't take pictures of or anything. So they'll commit it to memory and then have somebody draw it for them. And uh, dude's drawn the face of this thing, of this uh, heavy assault walker, and it looks like a lethal steam engine. I don't, like a transformer kind of. We'll link to it. Have, you, have both of you guys seen this thing? Yeah, but yeah. I, honestly, yeah. I think the whole idea is kind of poopy. Like just Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to block it from my memory. Like, like <laughs> let's take every great thing you like and make it bigger like okay and this is impressive how like i mean granted we haven't seen it in action but i just can't get excited for them literally recycling an old idea the the walkers weren't cool because we'd seen a smaller version of it in a new hope they were new you know i i want to see something new just give me something new new doesn't sell doug (laughs) that new cast you know did pretty well and you know uh I mean, really, the only complaint about Force Awakens was that it was just a, a retread. Everything else felt new enough. No, I, I actually, like, legitimately, I do agree with you. The best parts of Force Awakens were the new aspects. I don't think anybody goes back and says, man, Han Solo was awesome in that movie, or that, like, Carrie Fisher was awesome. It was all the new actors, the new characters, the new character archetypes. Like, people loved Hux, people loved Finn, and, and um, like, it's just more new please and the gorilla walkers don't look like that <laughs> yeah yeah uh maybe it's all maybe maybe that's a complete fabrication but unfortunately it's probably not <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if you saw like the concept designs originally for the for the the first order ties that were like completely different looking and then they're like well let's just do repainted regular tie fighters like i did not well i did i did see that but i i do believe that they probably went with the older design because in silhouette they were more easily distinguishable from x-wings like that new design they made looked a hell of a lot like an x-wing from a distance it's fair 
I mean, if they were it, all I, zooming in amongst each other, you wouldn't really, you know, wouldn't be able to tell. And even from an in-universe standpoint, it's much more reasonable that they'd be repurposing old military hardware. I mean, we're st- we do it in real life, too. I mean, it's just... But, you know, maybe not highlight that they're still using X-Wings and TIE Fighters. Maybe, you know, like... I don't know. There's there's just got to be a better way to to present more new than highlighting how much old there is. Like, stuff in the prequels looked more distinct than Mm -hmm. what we've seen so far for sure so directors of han solo lord and miller as well as dave filoni and rain johnson were all special thanked at the end of rogue one and there's a fair amount of details that are potentially linking all of these these movies in weird subtle nuanced ways um for example, in the uh, official reference sources for Rogue One, talking about Jeddah, the ancient world of Jeddah was home to one of the first civilizations to explore the nature of the Force, was considered a spiritual home of the Jedi and the Temple of the Wills. Um, there's a uh, great temple held sacred by those who followed the teachings of the Church of the Force. Um, it was located on the moon. Some scholars made the case for Jeddah as the location of the Jedi Order's first temple, alongside other candidate worlds such as Octo, Coruscant, Ossus, and Tython. Um, as a result, the moon became a holy land, etc., etc., etc. Now, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Matt, you're familiar with Ossus and Tython. Yeah, they were heavily used, especially Ossus. Um, uh, EU Jedi strongholds. Tython is like... In the old expanded universe, that's where like the Jedi Order first formed, um, which actually they've reused a lot of the stuff that went on there in uh, Rebels, the Ashla and the Bogon, like they, you know, the Bendu talked about that in in Rebels, and that actually came from Tython and the old explanations of the origin of the Force and the Jedi Order and everything else, and so <clears throat> it's really cool that they're still giving those planets that importance that they are origin worlds so to speak and kind of making it feel like a much more familiar universe and as far as the church of the force and mentioning octo there's something going on there right i mean there's got to be right the nice little setup in rogue one and inclusion of the journal you know the the wills and um with how disney is about shared universes right we we've i've got to think that this somehow plays into a much larger narrative that will come to some sort of conclusion in episode nine. So maybe there's possibility that it ties into to the Han Solo film. <laughs> yeah, you have a you have a, a radical theory about that. that you want to share with the? It's everybody? pretty radical. That has actually developed a little bit since I initially conceived of it because of some rumors that Diego Luna might actually be the Rogue One cameo, which. You know, it's just crazy rumors out there. Let's let's back up a little bit. Okay. Um, you said you just mentioned Diego Luna as a, as a as a cameo. You said that, and you use the term a like the Rogue One cameo. So, is there this, this Diego rumor, uh, Diego Luna rumor? We're going to talk about that in a moment. It pertains to Han Solo. Um, is there was there a mention that there was going to be a cameo? No, 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 like, no, no, no. Okay. No. I wasn't sure if that was on the books, if someone had said something. Oh, no, no, no. It's just very, to me, like, his interview was just very, um, it was, uh, I don't even remember which award show, but he got grilled by Josh Horowitz at MTV News about 
being in Han Solo, and he he didn't even know how to say no. I mean, his smile was just so boyish and like, I mean, he, I mean, he looked really happy, <laughs> and he just okay, yeah. This this like this cannot be ignored. I think this was really right significant. Um, we'll link to where you can watch this little clip uh, on this episode's page. Uh, so it was it was a red carpet interview at the Golden Globes, and basically Diego Luna got asked out of the blue, and I wouldn't have even thought to have asked this question. Like, so are you going to be in Han Solo? And it hits him, and you can watch this question hit him, and then he dodges it. Everything he says is right. But not the way he says it and not the way he acts. It looks like someone who's legitimately been taken off guard. Yes, absolutely. Because they can't... Yeah. And um, certainly uh, someone who doesn't know how to artfully dodge in, in English, which is not his native language. So, like, <laughs> you know, that sort of, like, compromised him as it was. So, I, I don't know. He's, I, I, I'm counting on that. But going back to my original theory because it could still come into play but originally i was thinking it was gonna be trute and 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 bays malvis that were the cameos only because i thought that disney would still be interested in those like like chinese markets that those would be the two stars that you would bring into a han solo movie that takes place before rogue one but i see with all these these rumors that this movie is is going to be a sci-fi western and that the um the visual inspiration they're taking from it's some uh oh cap i don't know if you have this offhand the name of the painter th- that does all the western vistas that like they're basing oh, the visual aesthetic on i know who you're talking about but it's not no not getting it right now not pulling it out of my brain but yeah uh yeah so i mean han solo this is like we're gonna we're gonna jump back to episode eight in a moment but but <laughs> han solo um it was described to uh, Star Wars Newsnet as having something of a comic book pulp feel. It's inspired by um, like Western Vista paintings and so on. And it's kind. It just just looking at this cast that's shaping up, which again we'll talk about in a moment, is uh, it's shaping up to look like an ensemble picture. So the fact that there could the the possibility of taking characters who were fan favorites in Rogue One, putting them in this movie set in an earlier time period. It makes a lot of sense, and it makes a lot of sense that Diego Luna would be one of these characters, and so, that it, it's shaping up to for for the real hardcore expanded universe fans that are listening. Like where I'm going with this is that like somehow we get some cinematic version, while it may not acknowledge it directly, of the Star Hoppers of Aduba Three, with with Jackson and <laughs> and all those and like like uh, you know, obviously not not to that pulp level because I I think cinematically we're past that, but then again. Look who are the ones making this movie. It's it's you know it's it's Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and they are the most self-aware filmmakers that I know right now that know how to just like do a really good job being super self-aware of the genre they're in. And what better way to do like a pulp adventure, you know, western sci-fi than like you know somehow adapting the Star Hoppers of Aduba Three. That's an old Marvel story, by the way. Yeah, it's 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 great in that it's not. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I think, and, and you know what, and and that once again, going theory wise, that's another reason why I thought Baze and Chirrut would be great characters in this, is because Han and A New Hope, which I'm hoping that we're we get to, like I don't want to see the character become that, but I certainly want the character to end that movie, like. 
I still, as I've always said, I want to, if I'm watching a New Hope for the first time after watching the Han Solo film, I want to wonder if he's going to show up to save Luke. Like, I want him to think, like, I want the audience to think when he left Yavin that he's not coming back because that's the kind of guy he is. And that he has a big turning point when he shows up to save Luke. But that Han Solo in yeah. A New Hope is very doubtful of the Force and very doubtful of ancient religions and that sort of thing. And I think Bayes and Truett would be a great opportunity to give us more of that soundboard about like Han just being like completely averse to that sort of life philosophy. Yeah. He, he says, uh, I've been from one end of this galaxy to the other. and I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything that would make me believe in an all powerful force. So it's like, we need to set him up for a fall. Like we need to set up like if Bayes and Schroeder are like, Oh no, the power of the force will save us. And then they get shot down and right. Han's just like, Oh, there's your force for you. You know, it's like it's just I want to see him at his worst, really. Yes, that's that 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 would be a great moment in that film. Well, and if he, only... if, if he if he if it's his blaster that saves the day because the force can't. Yeah, but also, uh, didn't Bob Iger say that we we see him from like ages whatever to whatever, stopping at twenty four? So maybe it yeah eighteen to twenty four. Yeah, so maybe we don't see of, him yeah. beyond age twenty four. Yeah. So, like, that's a good maybe 10 years before, uh, you know, New Hope would begin. Right. Well, I don't know. It depends on how long he spends on Tatooine, that son. You know, <laughs> it's a crazy thing, oh, that son. Let's, let's not start that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, bouncing back to episode eight, just to finish that off, we... Um, there's there's some photos of Octo, the set in uh, in Ireland, and there's a large creature spotted, like kind of hanging out on the shore and it looks a hell of a lot like a boar gullet that weird lie detecting octopus that Saw Gerrera had on Jeddah. so what does that mean uh I I think that's the only way to at this point justify bull gullet as like a significant thing that they just forgot to cut out of the film because Rogue One it was almost completely <laughs> useless and it's like oh okay they're setting something up Right. <laughs> um, so we have a, a little bit of information about about this. Um, again, this comes from Making Star Wars. Uh, there are other creatures on Octo for sure. There are some alien puffins with razor-sharp teeth that are a mixture of terrifying and adorable. Um, they, they were described as basically combine a puffin with a Furby and Star Wars. And there's one puffin that sees Luke as the protector of Octo... But Ray is an outsider, and then there's a rumored fight between Ray and a quote sea monster, which earns her the right to be there from the little puffin creatures. That sea monster could be a boar gullet. You know, what is in the end of the day, what does that mean? What does it matter? Well, it doesn't seem like it matters much, but it's they've either made two very similar creatures between these two like <laughs> films that are coming out right next to each other. Or there's, you know, just general crossover. Like how um, those uh, big, ugly teeth balls from Force Awakens, um, Rathtars, like how those are in shit now. The Darth Maul kills a bunch of them in the first issue of the Darth Maul comic, and that's set before episode one. So, <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all connected. <laughs> now, it's like poetry. <laughs> yeah, it slant rhymes. Um, we, it seems so late in 
to, to know about any new casting in Star Wars Episode Eight, but we've got two people that we know now are in this movie. Um, the first is Just, Justin Thoreau from The Leftovers. He's playing an expert slicer. Oh, it would make now, me feel so good if they use the term slicer in this movie. Matt, what the hell is that? I mean, it's it's he's it's a hacker. I mean, that's 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 what it was in the old expanded universe. I think Timothy Zahn. I mean, unless he pulled it from the RPG, which is knowing him is very likely. Um, and they've been using it in the new canon, but you know that doesn't mean anything if they're not bringing it into, um, you know, into the films like you know popular usage. But like, I'm pretty sure it made its first appearance in *Heir of the Empire*. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, they're cool digital pirates. Like, maybe that's uh, Benicio, Del, uh, Benicio Del Toro's part as DJ. Yeah, well, that, that's, that was the speculation that somehow Del Toro and this character are, are somehow uh, joined. Um, though, if Del Toro looks skeezy, this guy looks the opposite of that. No, d- um, but, but as far as Del Toro is concerned, does he look skeezy or does he look like a hacker? Well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I maybe we've got it all confused, but I mean, you know, I'm just saying, a slice, if you're if you're if you're a slicer, you can make a lot of money on, in a casino planet, and it's pretty easy for you to steal a ship. That's all I'm saying. Well, yeah, it is weird because because Del Toro was has been you know speculated to be some kind of a criminal, perhaps an expert gambler, and this guy has just been labeled as a slicer. But the slicer who looks like the gambler and the gambler who looks like what a slicer might look like. I don't know. Uh, the Thoreau costume is a white tuxedo style jacket over a black suit. They said on making Star Wars. Imagine Indiana Jones white tuxedo from Temple of Doom, but weirder with a Star Wars twist. Uh, a little fancier, in fact, than most of the Canto Bite folks. And uh, he might actually also be responsible for an onset explosion. The uh, the other person is Gary Barlow from the Britpop group Take That. <laughs> he was on uh, ITV's Lorraine show and said, I'm not a stormtrooper, but I am in it. I think the Star Wars people are so strict about what information is out there. So me saying that, I've probably just done myself out of a role. But in fact, ITV did check with uh, Lucasfilm before airing that news. So he's he's in it. He's something. I guess I guess you see his face. I don't know. Maybe he's an alien. It's a very weird inclusion. Makes me sad that they cut the uh, sync cameo from uh, Attack of the Clones in that case. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm Han Solo, you know, I'm on the fence about a lot of things about, you know, the, just the general existence of this film, but there's a lot of cool things about it. And one of my favorite things is that it's actually coming out in May. You know, May 25th, 2018, we're going to get episode 8 this year, and then Five months later, we're going to get this Han Solo movie that's pretty exciting. And I have, if you guys haven't checked out the recently announced like casting pe- cast of people since our last episode of State of the Empire, we got Woody Harrelson there as Han Solo's mentor. He's also a bit of a criminal, and uh, he let slip on The Tonight Show that his name is Beckett. So uh, what's fascinating about that is that all plays into some story that George Lucas wrote during the development of of empire strikes back matter doug somebody shared with me a photo from a book explaining some stuff about this character i don't remember an image from a book all i remember is that han solo originally had a father slash mentor figure 
that was originally written about in the early drafts of The Empire Strikes Back. And that this person was not his biological father, but had raised him. And the rebellion was seeking him out because he was basically like the most connected uh, underworld uh, supplier of uh, ships and smugglers. And Han and him had like a, a huge falling out. And Leia was, instead of convincing Han to stay, Leia was trying to convince Han to go find his quote unquote father. And he was like, no. And she's like, come on, you're the only one who knows where he actually is. Everything else is like a decoy. And he's like, no. And it's really strange. And it, and they it changed for the better. But they, they hinted at a lot of uh, history between them and just random things here or there. So I'm wondering if any of that old stuff was uh, looked over when looking for these new characters because it's lines up pretty well I think so far it was it wasn't the exact same name but I'll have to I'll have to look up what the original name was I mean I, I never actually saw a name but the actual context of the character and that being a, a major figure in Han Solo's life that all syncs up quite a bit uh, this was only in the first draft of Empire this stuff ever showed up and uh, eventually Han does agree to take the mission but it's aborted when the Empire attacks the rebel base so it's all really for naught some early details that I think will be interesting to see if this translates to the Han Solo film is, I guess the final version of Han's backstory at around this Empire Strikes Back time was that Han was an orphan. He was raised by Wookiees. Um, he left. He flunked out of Space Academy and was then, then met some kind of Ernest Hemingway character, a very powerful traitor in the galaxy, who took Han under his wing until they had a falling out, and Han swore he would never talk with him again. So at least that last bit seems true, <laughs> but... Is Han going to be raised by Wookiees? We'll see. I got. There's a lot of things that are being said about the Han Solo movie that deeply trouble me. I mean, like more <laughs> well, so than you know. A, a lot of that. A lot of that sort of outline kind of made its way into the Han Solo upbringing in the expanded universe. I mean, he was like wasn't raised like by Wookiees, but like his mother-like figure was a sort of a enslaved Wookiee cook on this like ship full of like pirates that Han served on when he was young. And he was just sort of like an orphan and then like was eventually like killed. And so he always had like soft spot for Wookiees and eventually, you know, he saw Chewbacca getting abused in the Imperial Academy and that's how that life started. But like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of, I don't know. At, at some point, the similarities between that outline and what they use in the expanded universe, and what we're starting to hear about this movie with you know this Han mentor character, like makes you wonder if this type of like character, like there's only a few stories you can tell about like an origin. Like it has to be this sort of like only grifters can like you know train grifters. You know, like it, it seems like Star Lord, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we do have three additional casting uh, announcements that we have no idea who they're playing in any context. There's uh, Michael K. Williams from The Wire, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge from Fleabag, and uh, perhaps most exciting of all, uh, Thandie Newton from Westworld, who she might be a bit old for the part based on Hanslow's backstory, yeah. but we've been waiting for a woman of color to be on the roster of this film for a potential explanation for what's up with Sana Staros. AKA Sana Solo from the Star Wars comics. 
is there the possibility that Amelia Clark's character, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, was going to be Sonostaros until they decided to cast a female lead with like quite a bit of recognition in like the sort of genre TV film community and then like just decided they're going to have to take it a different route and she's not going to be Sana. Entirely possible. We I think we discussed that in a recent episode yeah. about the possibility of, of that character being yanked around and how much of the kind of stories they could tell in the comic books, which is all just hypothetical on our part, but maybe someday we'll have a nice long chat with Jason Aaron where he can come clean about that right. after this movie's out. <laughs> um, so, Doug, you, you've been getting some bad feelings about Han Solo. Yeah, and, very bad uh, feeling about this. The, the, the baddest feeling of all comes from our favorite person in the whole world, Bob Iger. <laughs> <laughs> he was speaking at the University of Southern California and said this of the Han Solo movie. It picks up where Han Solo was when he was 18 years old and takes him through when he was 24. There's a few significant things that happen in Han Solo's life, like acquiring a certain vehicle. I would meet a certain Wookiee. Uh, that'll happen in this film. But you will also discover how he got his name. I have to believe, I have to, until the movie, the day the movie comes out, that he meant that in some sort of poorly worded metaphorical way that we got like how he earned like his status i suppose <laughs> we can fucking hope and pray yeah, i don't know about that i think he says what he means <laughs> i i he's don't had, know he's had no problem admitting before it's a boot it's a reboot i don't know like you know he's been able Fuck to, it. yeah he's been able to say you know what i don't know what i'm talking about before exactly like, so maybe maybe he doesn't understand the how like the his name like maybe he's just I I don't no I think it means oh we're gonna, it turns out his name is not Han Solo and it's actually you know uh, some other really dumb name that he's gonna want to he'd be he'd be embarrassed about if someone ever found out but we're gonna there, tell you there is no way anybody would ever let them go with a Harrison Ford character having changed his name once again that was a one time gag that they can get away with with Indiana Jones and the dog and they're not gonna be able to do it in Star Wars. I agree that they're not going to be able to do it, but I, I'm scared that they're going to try because they'll be like, oh, it's kind of like poetry. It rhymes. Like, oh, this is funny. Like, it references the other thing. Everyone liked well, that part of Indiana well, Jones. It is, it, it is the cast writing it. So maybe they're just like, well, you know what? What else worked? And, well, um, I know I know Kasdan did uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but did he, did, did he do uh, Last Crusade? I don't think he, I don't think he wrote Last Crusade. I don't know. I don't think he did, actually. Yeah, I think that might have been, like, David Coep or someone. But, like, you know, it, it would be pretty funny if he's just straight up basing, like, Han Solo, like, connecting him to... Might as well make that, that old Star Wars Tales comic canon where where Han, where Han and Chewie <laughs> end up crashing the Falcon in the Amazon jungle and coming across Indiana Jones. I, I don't think that'd be funny at all. <laughs> I think that'd be a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not all bob Iger said at uh usc he also said we're starting to talk about we're starting to talk about what could happen after episode nine and what could be another decade and a half of star wars stories interesting thing before he said that star wars news net intercepted a transmission and it is very hefty and outlines if true 
I should add, if true, outlines plans for that entire duration that Bob Iger was just talking about there. Much of this is in very early production, but a certain piece of information, there is a damn good chance, is going to be announced day one of Star Wars Celebration. So let's, uh, fingers crossed about that. That little item is an Obi-Wan movie. One film, no trilogy, but an Obi-Wan movie, potentially with Gareth Edwards as director. Let's fucking do it. I'm so ready for it. And that's, of course, Ewan McGregor taking place between uh, episode three and four. We've seen a lot in... um, in the Star Wars comics, but there's room. There's room for some more. One one last grand adventure. One adventure not involving Darth Maul. It would it would seem it would turn out. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that I guess I was gonna say considering story arcs that have happened in other mediums, I'm a little less excited for an Obi Wan film and just in the idea of what's gonna happen, where is it gonna go, why would he ever leave Tatooine, and if he doesn't leave Tatooine, what could possibly be exciting enough for a whole movie to happen about it? I don't know. Um, I'm I'm open to it, but skeptical. I I think um, along. I mean, I, I I hesitate to say this because I don't want to seem like I don't want it to be that people are just jumping on like remaking the last like well received blockbuster. But I would tend to think that you could do a very good Obi Wan movie on Tatooine of the Logan mold, where it is a very localized story that doesn't involve saving the world. It's much more like Jabba's thugs are doing something and Obi-Wan is their foil. Which has actually already happened exactly that in the comics, True. but it was not film-worthy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it would give it would give Jabba some more screen time, which is, of course, like, only a good thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, sh- you sure about that? Yeah, I know. Literally, Jabba has been terrible every single time he's been on screen since uh, Return of the Jedi. But there is certainly an opportunity still um, to uh, to make Jabba a lot more threatening than he than he has been since Return of the Jedi has released. Yeah. It would be good. It would. I mean, if if set on Tatooine and it, it didn't involve Jabba, it's almost well. One, I'd always like to see something new, but it's also kind of a missed opportunity to give that character a little bit more oomph for when they do appear in Jedi. Right, and and I will say, I do have another theory on what they could do with an Obi Wan film, but I don't know if it's worth mentioning yet. Um. Well, if not now, when? If they announce this thing, Matt, and then you know, then then you can't say I told you so. Well, I was wondering if it, if I could work it in a little bit better later, but I'm just gonna ju- I'm, I'll jump I'll jump forward a little bit, and and we don't have to cover the topic yet, but um, Hayden Christensen's involvement with Celebration coming up, and the talk about how many crazy surprises they're going to have at this 40th anniversary panel. Ewan McGregor, I, I don't I haven't seen Hayden Christensen in a while, but Ewan McGregor has been one of those people that people talk about how he's just not aging. Like he's he's kinda also not only is he not aging, but he's very easy to manipulate into whatever age you want him to be. And I know this is crazy, but you could do an Obi Wan film that involves the Clone Wars. And with maybe with some minimal involvement from Hayden Christensen. I, now just, you've done it, Matt. What? Now you've gone and done it. I, now you've gone and done it. I'm just saying, 
at some point, maybe Disney has decided after talking to Hayden that he is salvageable and he doesn't have to be like, he doesn't have to carry a film, but like, you know, he still was considered, you know, like an up and comer before, you know, obviously the prequels and, and things have sort of come around with the, with the, like with the prequels, like, like recently they've become like, they've gone from bad movies to like flawed cult classics that like people enjoy in a, like a weird sort of funny way. And I don't know. There's just things that you could do. And they are pushing this 40th anniversary panel and specifically Hayden's involvement in it and the surprises that are to come. So I well, just okay. throw that crazy idea out there. <laughs> it's a crazy idea, but it's not a bad idea. Because, I mean, we in addition to people coming around to the prequels such as they are, one of those people is not me. <laughs> but... <laughs> but Hayden Christensen very famously like George was not using him. George was not directing him. He, uh, he, everybody's performances were basically miserable and only the most talented actors managed to survive that like unscathed. And even then it was bland performances. So, but let me ask you this about as fo- in terms of continuity, because, you know, I still haven't watched the Clone Wars series. Is there an opportunity to tell uh, a film worthy story in that time period without it like directly, adversely affecting what they've done already oh, i i, I think Wars? so i think so well all right then. and Game also, on. That also sounds like a great one, idea. Of the, one of the biggest criticisms of the prequel era as far as the way it was told in story form, like as far as in movie form is that you never had an opportunity to see like you had obi-wan as a father figure in attack the clones and then you had a movie in which you were supposed to assume they became quote-unquote brothers and you saw the end of their brotherhood and this would be an opportunity to showcase that in a much different light. Something that's much more tragic when they end up going at each other on the Death Star so many years later. I'm I'm sensing an opportunity here to troll you, Matt. Uh, on uh, <laughs> what if what if this Obi Wan movie will have Hayden Christensen involved, but as the ghost of Anakin Skywalker? You know, that's that's another thing that I've seen. I, I am also okay with that, especially if they could get Liam Neeson to also be, like, you know, if Obi-Wan's really communicating with Qui-Gon, that would actually be another opportunity to sort of fix George's weird ways of, like, structuring the prequels, is actually giving that sort of, like, Qui-Gon revelation some actual, like, meaning. Um... But I, I doubt they could like pull that well, off. I that only would be crazy. say that it would be the ghost of Anakin Skywalker because Darth Vader during that time period is still walking around very much alive. And I know how you were a big fan of the Anakin ghost yes. at the end of Return of the Jedi, being that Anakin had died. Therefore, when you see him, it had to be right, Anakin right. ghost. Which, and of course, we've seen those con- that concept art that there that Force Awakens at one point entertained the idea of a Darth Vader Force ghost and an Anakin Skywalker Force ghost that was separately. Um, pulling Kylo Ren in different directions, which I still think is a bunch of crap, and I'm glad they. Yeah, didn't do it, that. I, th- I think it's a terrible idea. Honestly, if I was approaching an Obi Wan film right now, I would make something akin to like Logan and Scale that takes place on Tatooine that would feature flashbacks to some spe- like I would say. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, like yeah. like two thirds of the movie is Obi Wan struggling on Tatooine as an older person. And then it would feature flashbacks to some related scenario with Hayden Christensen and Anakin in the Clone Wars. 
That'd be great. And then, of course, you end it with Obi-Wan meditating and he hears the voice of uh, Liam Neeson with new dialogue. That would be cool. I mean, he did do dialogue for uh, for the Clone Wars cartoon. And he'll do whatever you want him to do, really. He's, he's always game. <laughs> so it's going to happen. I'm dead certain. I mean, happy to be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that when you hear from us next, we'll have conf- confirmation of this Obi-Wan movie, and I'm pretty excited about that. I've, I've thought about this 40th anniversary panel announcing that either Hayden or Ewan, or Ewan McGregor has some sort of connection to the future of the Star Wars franchise, and every time I think about the scenario, I, I start to tear up. <laughs> Like, I'm so <laughs> excited about Celebration and that panel. Like, I think I'm going to, like, go ahead and camp out on Wednesday night. I really want to be there for that. I, I am willing to bet that Disney is going to be paying very close attention. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Attention to the kind of reception he gets. That's another thing that I've thought. Like maybe there won't be any official announcement of involvement of Hayden, but I think they will try to see how fans react. And I, I think he's going to get a standing ovation. I really do. I mean, at least from you, he is. So yeah, and and I've just been. When it was announced, you're gonna, Twitter... You're going to kick it off. Everyone's going to be really uncertain. And then you're going to stand up and be, bravo! I think, I think for a lot of Star Wars fans, regardless of the objective quality of those movies, and we can all admit that they're not good movies, although I do like Revenge of the Sith a lot, I think for a lot of fans at a certain age group of like who's still like really buying and into Star Wars, they grew up with Hayden Christensen. And I think that means a lot to them, even if they can acknowledge that he's not good. And I think for someone, like, I think they feel bad that he's been sort of exiled onto prequel island. And I think, I think they'll give him a warm reception. So in addition to this Obi-Wan movie, there's also a film about Boba Fett and other bounty hunters on an adventure, a young adult tragic romance story, 
a sizable hiatus between uh, episode nine and a fourth trilogy. And in between that gap, a bunch of TV series. So we've got a little bit of information on all that. The Boba Fett and the Bounty Hunters thing. Well, here's here's a stinky little rumor. Apparently, and this is 100%, I cannot confirm this at all, but apparently Kenberg uh, threatened to walk out on Lucasfilm if Josh Trank wasn't encouraged to leave the Boba Fett project after the terrible relationship that they had working on Fantastic Four. Um, that, that yeah, I, you know what? I, I bet you... I feel like one day that could make a great documentary. Is the, <laughs> is is the combination of the of Fantastic Four's production plus the Boba Fett pre-production? Because I mean, just for those that have sat through Josh Trank's Boba or Fantastic Four movie, like that is just, I mean, that is one of the most fascinating bad movies I've ever seen. Well, it's so dense someday. every single frame. No. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, apparently, um, what's being made is basically the same pitch that they would have had if Trank directed it. There wasn't even a script when they were going to announce it at the last U.S. celebration. Hmm. Um, the core story was never planned to be an origin story for Boba Fett, and it's not strictly a Boba Fett movie. It's basically an ensemble of bounty hunters doing crimes, which See. sounds great. Sounds great, but Clone Wars did it a lot. There, There's like three or four arcs about bounty hunter ensembles. And some great, like what's funny is they all would always occasionally like, oh, there's Dengar, there's IG-88. But then they would always add, you know, like two or three new ones that like really fit in well with like the sort of Empire Strikes Back, you know, roster. And I guess, yeah, maybe they it could make a good movie, but they've done it. You know, they've... That's all that uh, all ages proof of concept for this uh, true pushing pushing an R PG thirteen movie. True, <laughs> they're gonna drop the f bomb in this one just oh, once, God. you know. But <laughs> can you fucking imagine? Uh. <laughs> um, one of the more vague things on this list is the young adult tragic romance story. Um, allegedly, it's a love story angle more in common with Han and Leia's romance uh, in The Empire Strikes Back, so it's very torrid. And um, it's not going to be an adaptation of the extremely successful uh, Claudia Gray Star Wars novel, Lost Stars. And also, it's likely to be directed by a woman, which is actually, I mean, there should definitely be a Star Wars film directed by a woman. But I'm definitely rolling my eyes when Kathleen Kennedy's big push to get more female film directors involved is a young adult tragic romance story. I'm sorry. That sounds, that just sounds fucking sexist. Yep, Cap, you're speaking my mind. I, I same thing. It's just like um, problem I have with Marvel and, and Black Panther. Like, of course, that's the involvement of black directors. They gave him Black Panther. It's like it doesn't have to be like the subject matter doesn't have to stereotypically match the director. Like, there's great female directors that could do a great standard Star Wars story or any genre they want. I yeah, just, these are Star Wars. Anything can happen. Anyone can direct them. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely I fucking hope that doesn't that happen as well. I can you can you give the if you're gonna like make make this gesture of the first female director doing Star Wars, can you give it to the bounty hunter movie? Can can that be the first female director? Should be. Uh, just, yep. just don't. 
I mean, come on. Kathleen, really? Kathleen, come on. And after that, um, there's a actual planned hiatus for Star Wars movies. Lucasfilm wants to deliberately starve the market, just like what happened between Jedi and, uh, well, the the special edition resurgence. They, I guess maybe the, the Marvel cycle has uh, has shown that fatigue does happen, and they want to make sure that Star Wars maintains its integrity. So if this, if all this is true, there is going to be sort of a planned break that is not truly a break. Um, by then, I don't know what year this is planned for, but television in its current status as being you know better than movies will have mutated even further into a cinematic genre, probably. So Star Wars being on television... Might even make you ask, why would Star Wars ever go back to the theaters? What are what are movie theaters even? People used to do that. Weird. Um, <laughs> which I I don't like the demise of cinema, but it's a terrible industry. It is, and and, and, and something's got to give. I don't know if it's on the theater level or and and Star Wars is honestly something that could push it. Like you said, if if suddenly Star Wars has its best like content on on netflix or on you know whatever app like yeah it will beg the question like why are we going back to the theater when we already have it like perfected in our homes yeah and you know what's what's aiding that perfection is that lucasfilm is storing all of their props like and keeping them up to snuff as in they are hypothetically cutting down on tv production costs or film production costs for that matter, but like, right. you know, you got, you've built this one Millennium Falcon cockpit and you're going to keep reusing that cockpit <laughs> across all the films. It'll be interesting to see if this hiatus actually happens. Like, I feel like that's, that's a Lucasfilm idea, but I wonder like when it comes down to it, if Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy are going to start to like fist fight over like, you know, cause yeah, there's Marvel fatigue, but the money's still rolling in. I mean like, yeah, the, the fan reaction seems to be, you know, fatiguing but people are still going to the theaters so it'll be interesting to see if that happens yeah. with with star wars but lucasfilm operates a lot more independently than marvel does so we'll see it's true there's there's one final bit of information from all this and that is that um what about the new dave filoni project he's you know he's passed the torch on rebels he's still you know hovering around there but he's doing something new he might even announce it announce it this coming week and the uh, the source said on that the new series might be more in tune with the existing story arcs of the Star Wars saga instead of filling in the gaps like Clone Wars and Rebels have. Ooh, <laughs> what does it mean? Seriously. <laughs> on to books, comic and otherwise. There's been some interesting developments. Um, the uh, the aftermath novels, the trilogy, those those are all out now. Uh, and. Uh, as I understand, Matt, the reception is still not great. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I have not had the chance to finish the trilogy yet, as my copy of the book was stolen off my porch. Um, oh fuck! <laughs> all I was looking forward to was was coming home and finding the book, and I just haven't gotten around to rebuying it. But um, yeah, I, I I read quite a few forums when it comes to Star Wars literature, and you know, kind of a lackluster response. You know, it filled in some political gaps, I guess, between the Alliance and then the Foundation of the Republic and then kind of how the Empire was reforming itself. But the most interesting stuff is still that Jakku seems to be somewhere that I would not be shocked if we went back to an Episode Nine, which doesn't make me happy in the fact that it's just this trilogy's Tatooine. But 
Um, right. it, it, it seems like they're hinting that there's a lot going on in Jakku that we haven't really seen yet. Yeah. Maybe, now, maybe Ray is some sort of manifestation of the Force and the midi-chlorians. Shut up. It's going to happen. <laughs> Don't want that to be true. It's going to happen. Um, there's, there's some specific stuff we can go into, but this episode's running a little bit long. So uh, for those notes about Aftermath, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to those. Um, there was a recent book announced called Inferno Squad, which picks up immediately after Rogue One. It's by Christy Golden, and it's coming out July 25th. Here's the pitch. It's about an elite Imperial squad and their mission following the events of Rogue One uh, before New Hope. This mission, infiltrate and eliminate the remnants of Saw Gerrera's partisans. Uh, follow, well, I, I suppose you should back up. It's, uh, it's immediately following the events of not just Rogue One, but also A New Hope. Um, their mission is to infiltrate and eliminate the remnants of Saw Gerrera's partisans. Following the death of their leader, the partisans have carried on his extremist legacy, determined, determined to thwart the Empire, no matter the cost. Now, Inferno Squad must prove their status to the best of the best and take down the partisans from within. But as the danger intensifies and the threat of discovery grows, how far will Inter- Inferno Squad go to ensure the safety of the Empire? <laughs> uh, Christy Golden. Tell me about Christy Golden. That sounds like you have some feelings. Um, she wrote uh, some of my least favorite uh, Star Wars novels from the old EU. Um, she did uh, three of the Fate of the Jedi books, um, which is really like almost as I believe they may have been as far as the old expanded universe got chronology wise. And it got into some weird stuff about like the real like dark side of the force like it's there was a <laughs> a very dark period of the expanded universe towards the end where they were really trying to connect every single era to each other some long narrative about why Luke really was the chosen one and they had this creature Abeloth that was sort of like the manifestation of all evil in the galaxy that's ever existed and sort of like to explain away why Jason Solo went dark side what Palpatine was really after what um, the there was some weird episodes of the Clone Wars, um, the Mortise trilogy, where there was those that have seen Clone Wars know there was like a <laughs> very mythological four stories, and they tried to connect all of it together and have Luke defeat it in the end. And also, it made the Sith and the Jedi come together and actually like fight together. She was one of three authors in that trilogy, so or. Not it was a nine book series, e- you know. Each one wrote three books, and none of them are good. <laughs> and it really ruined a lot of the expanded universe. And I just don't know why they're bringing Christy Golden into the new, currently unblemished uh, universe. Well, shit, that sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, weirdly, Inferno Squad sounds a lot like something that's happened recently in. Jason Aaron's Star Wars comic with an elite crew of stormtroopers, seemingly unrelated. Yep. But I don't know. Um, currently, the Doctor Afra book solo book is still great, absolutely great. I don't. Where was this during Darth Vader? Where was it? I don't know. Um, in fact, it dug into some very strange, um, old, old Star Wars Republic stuff. Um, something called the Citadel of the Order Aspectu, where an Old Republic Jedi has put their consciousness inside of a droid of some kind. 
it's neat stuff. I don't know where it's going, but it's neat stuff. Um, Is that meanwhile, like in the Jason, Bomar monks. Uh, well, uh, I suppose the difference is, is that the Bomar monks clearly have a brain in a robot, and this is like uh, some kind of kyber crystal data oh, transference boy. thing. MacGuffin crystal. Well, hey, <laughs> we, we're a big fan of the MacGuffin crystals around here, so I, I can't argue that. Yeah, but, but, I, it, but uh, have... there's a difference between one thing being one thing and the other being Star Wars. <laughs> well, in their defense... The issue that is probably going to explain a bit more of this has not come out yet. It was more of a cliffhanger. So uh, I don't know where it's going. I don't know how it works. Also, um, um, the in the old expanding universe, there was a super weapon built into like a like an asteroid called the Eye of Palpatine. In order to stop it, a Jedi put its consciousness into the computer system. Of, of the eye of Palpatine and sort of like made it not do its thing until it was like accidentally reactivated by some bad guys post return of the Jedi. So it's, you know, Simpsons did it. <laughs> when, when was the eye of Palpatine built? Um, this was, this goes back to like a lot of, because this was pre prequels. So like it kind of started to mess with continuity, but um, it was built um like at the very beginning of the empire and the jedi that stopped it was someone that survived the purge but i think huh, all of that weird. was a retcon i think the original assumption was that palpatine was like an enemy of the republic you know before like establishing his empire and so like it was written of the idea that they it was one of palpatine's weapons that they stopped and then they had to huh. kind of like reconfigure history to make it make sense but man, that book came out in, you know, we talk about, you know, hiatus period. It was like right in the midst of it. I think it was like 93, 94. So this was sort oh, of, wow. yeah, pretty early in the expanded universe. Huh. Um, meanwhile, in Star Wars, some weird stuff's been going on. You know, uh, we've had these past issues that have been Luke reading through Obi-Wan's journals about what Obi-Wan was doing on Tatooine. Well, now he's reading stories that, uh, related to Obi-Wan from Yoda. So Luke's reading about Yoda before he ever meets him. So Luke's aware of Yoda, and it turns out, much like how Yoda was aware of Ezra, Yoda's plainly aware of Luke running around the galaxy. It's very interesting. Um, what well, we get he, in well the story... he did say, long, long have I watched this one. Yeah. He did say that so in that's, Yeah, That's a thing now. Like it's, it's really, truly a thing. And, and this Yoda story is batshit crazy. It involves um, a planet covered in these blue rocks that are sort of charged with an artificial force almost like he as a force wielder cannot control them but the people who live there can manipulate them as though they were force objects and yoda becomes sort of powerless and has to learn the ways of this other thing and these rocks have like a life force all their own has there been an opportunity weird. for Yoda to appear as a great warrior? Because I've always thought like the best way they could approach Luke knowing about Yoda prior to meeting Yoda is the idea that like when he's on Dagobah and he says, I'm looking for a great warrior, and it's because he's already had this history of Yoda being a badass 
Oh hell yeah! Okay, see that. See this. I re- now I really like the idea of Luke knowing of Yoda, and I, and I also like it too because it's now kind of a revelation to Luke that when the ghost Obi Wan says go to Dagobah and find Yoda, he's kind of like, oh shit, I know that guy. He's kind of a badass. I can't believe he's alive. Yeah, basically that. And Luke's reading this having no clue that Yoda is, you know, a knee-high gremlin. Amazing. And he's he's just reading about this, like, insane, legendary parable about this amazing Master Jedi and just imagining... I mean, we're, we're as comic book readers, we're seeing Yoda doing all this stuff, but Luke's just imagining whatever the hell he wants to. You don't see what Luke's, Luke imagines. See, that, that is how you mess with... Uh preconceived notions of continuity without like messing with things too greatly like that's 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 great that's leading up to a five-part crossover between star wars and dr afra called the screaming citadel Uh, much like vader down it's getting kicked off with a one shot and uh, it's about luke and afra in a infamous castle located on the edge of space winding up in the clutches of a sinister alien queen and their symbiotes involved awesome I'm hoping it's uh, Angelica Houston from Captain EO. Oh, don't even joke. <laughs> maybe that's Jason what, Aaron maybe described that's what it as a gothic it. horror story. Maybe they'll announce uh, at the 40th uh, anniversary thing that it's uh, <laughs> the next anthology film is Captain EO. <laughs> oh, that would be crazy. Um, there, there is there is a panel, uh, a Star Wars um, comics panel, and in attendance is Charles Soule. Um, who's done the amazing Lando miniseries, the pretty good Obi-Wan and Anakin miniseries, and now is on a brand new Darth Vader ongoing. It's coming out in June. The difference between the prior one and this one is that whereas it seemed like Kieran Gillen couldn't tell the stories he wanted to tell in the Darth Vader comic taking place prior to Empire, this one, it's about Vader immediately after Revenge of the Sith. Like, immediately after Revenge of the Sith. And I guess the gloves are off. It'd be interesting to see how, how this this Vader characterization contrasts with that of the previous, the Kieran Gillen Vader. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a lot more like Rogue One Vader. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, editor Jordan D. White, who's the editor of all the Star Wars books, said, I'm so excited that we get to tell more stories about the best villain of all time. And this time we get to show his very first steps into the dark side. Charles has an evil streak in him that readers might have seen whenever he's written Palpatine in the past. Now that comes front and center. We're going to see the construction of Vader's red lightsaber, the fallout of Order 66, the beginnings of the Inquisitor program, and the rise of an empire. Can't argue with that. It sounds like a heck of a docket. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. There's a possibility that we're going to see an announcement of a 4K Star Wars print sometime during Celebration, perhaps. Gareth Edwards said, uh, uh, one day we were in Lucasfilm in San Francisco with uh, Industrial Light and Magic, and John Knoll, our supervisor, said that they've got a brand new 4K restoration of A New Hope. It had literally just been finished. Um, he did not mention which version of A New Hope it was. And there's this weird legal ambiguity because 20th Century Fox retains distribution rights for A New Hope in perpetuity in the theatrical, non-theatrical, and home video rights worldwide for the previous rele- previously released saga films other than A New Hope through 2020 but this is the 40th anniversary year it would make sense if something came out and it would make sense if they announced it this coming week at celebration i hope that's not the only surprise they told me new hope was was uh you know just re-releasing i mean that's cool but i don't know 
It makes me nervous. Hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah. I mean, Celebration, they're showing uh, Rogue One and A New Hope back-to-back. That's kind of fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You guys ready for Willow Watch? Absolutely. Oh, my God. It's been so long. So long since we've had a Willow Watch. I mean, like, you know, it's been a while since State of the Empire, but I just feel a bigger hole in my heart with the lack of Willow Watch in it. Willow. Um, well, guys, I was, I was emailing Bob Dolman the other day, screenwriter of Willow, and uh, he mentioned that a friend of his told him that Jordan Peele of Key and Peele, director of Get Out, said in a recent interview a little something about Willow. And... I had trouble finding it, but fortunately, fortunately, I put out the feelers, and both Two Thumbs and Max Cree answered the call and provided me with some very helpful information in that respect. So uh, here, here is Jordan Peele telling us his feelings on Willow, real brief, and a very exciting tidbit. Tell me a film that you've dreamt about remaking, but you never have said out loud. I'm gonna say, let's say Willow. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's amazing. I threw down Willow. That means how a would re- that go down? How would that go down? Well, first of all, I'd do Black Willow. Okay. So that would be, it would be the, the you know, the it's dude like from. like my childhood dream come true. Yeah, I'd cast the guy from uh, Bad Santa, the, yeah, as <laughs> yes. as Willow. Um, the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. Instead of Bav Morta, it would be Bad Bad Mora. Okay. And she would, just, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of so many movies. It's, it's, it's honestly, that's like, you know, I, I want to make these movies of my own, but I, my fear at this point is I'm going to be sidetracked when, you know, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, and you know, you want to, you want to remake The First Power with Lou Diamond Phillips? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Considering that it's be- recently since this interview happened, uh, come out that he's being considered to direct an Akira film, uh, a live action Akira that, uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess that, 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 that's happening to him right now. Offers are coming in. Oh, yeah. Um, now I don't know why he'd want to remake Willow. I, I, I mean, well, we all- I think that was just a joke and <laughs> you know, from the sound of it, it's just like, you're like, oh, well, he's just joking, and he just went for an obscure movie. But then he threw down, like, Bath Morda's name. You know, so I'm like, no, he's definitely a fan. Like, he definitely knows the movie. But uh, in terms of remaking, I think he's just playing with the the question a bit, you know? as Yeah. Because it would be sure. ridiculous to remake something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely joking, but definitely has a passion because when I when I put out feelers for information on this, oh, more more information flooded in. For example, a 2015 New Yorker article which reads, "As Peel grew, his increasing interest in performing arts surprised his mother. He'd always seemed shy, the quiet kid who likes to draw, who loved movies about aliens, monsters, and robots, all of whom tended to have no race at all. There were many literary books on the shelves, but Peel gravitated towards fantasy, labyrinth. That's my world," Peel confirmed. Neverending story, Willow. That's a quote from him. So, yep. <laughs> and what's more, I was also pointed to uh, one of the Liam Neeson-loving cinema valet sketches where they did not talk about Liam Neeson, but they did talk. They did talk about this guy. When he was mad, Martigans, mm. and they was in that medieval toboggan. I'm talking about. 
And a little leprechaun talking about, you are great. And he was magically delicious, dog. Magically delicious, dog. That was my jam. I'm confused. Isn't that just a recording of us? I... I love these stories. I love finding out about the people whose works I love, who are in positions of power, who adore Willow as much as we do. That it's not as obscure a film as they would have you believe. Exactly. I'm going to say it now. Jordan Peele needs to direct a Vunkar spinoff. <laughs> yes, and it's already been... I mean, like, Alan Varney's already got the plot written up for him in the Willow source book. We got this whole Vunkar, like, incredible journey... Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, now, a little, little, little note here. I tried really hard to make a Willow panel happen at this year's celebration. I did not go through the official channels, and perhaps I should have, because if I had, maybe I would have been able to take advantage of the podcast stage or the fan panel presentation. But I was trying to go through the like ultra-official channels of being like, hey... We're with Consequence of Sound, and we have the uh, the guy who wrote Willow, and we want to do a Willow panel. And some conversations got started, but nothing serious ended up happening, and it breaks my heart. breaks my heart even more that next year, 2018, is Willow's 30th anniversary, and there's no Star Wars celebration. So where the hell are we going to celebrate 30 years of Willow? Maybe at the Willow celebration. Exactly. I'm putting out the call right now, and I'm 100% serious about this. 100% serious. I, I've got a, we, we got a lot of things going on here. You know, State of the Empire was just on you know, an inadvertent hiatus. We got too many pots on the, st- the stove right now. They're all boiling over. But we got connections. We, got, we have certain powers. If you are a person who knows a thing or two about running a convention or event, or knows someone who is, who wants to put on Willowpalooza in 2018, email info at nerdyshow.com. I'm dead fucking serious. I want to get Bob Dolman out. I want to get any other uh, assorted celebrities and figures. I mean, the sky's the limit. Ron Howard, why not? Warwick Davis, why not? Val Kilmer, why the hell not? Let's get the whole cast, everybody who's presently like alive still, get them there. Sorsha and Bavmorda reunited in the same room. Is that possible? Who played Bavmorda? Is she still alive? I don't know. But we'll get her. So I I guess this would be a a day-long event or something, but I want to put it together and I know that I can't do it alone. So if you've got the the wherewithal, the skills, or even just the drive, email info at nerdyshow.com, subject Willow Palooza. Let's make this happen. It's got to happen. Willow's turning 30 next year, and we have to throw him a fucking birthday party. Thus ends Willow Watch. So, there's got, man, this has been a long episode already. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for, for joining us for all this. We got more to say. We got, we got stuff to say about theme parks, Indiana Jones, um... Lots more, but we're going to save that for the next full news-oriented episode of State of the Empire. In fact, you know, with Star Wars Rebels, with Rogue One, with theme parks for that matter, there's probably a lot that's going to come out in Star Wars Celebration. So all these kind of future topics will be informed by uh, this coming week, this coming sleepless, 
hazardous week. Um, so this is where we're going to end it, except we do have a little bit of Blastor's conversation about episode eight. So remember to uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That helps more people discover State of the Empire, which uh, many of our reviews say is the greatest Star Wars podcast out there, and there's a lot of them. So thank you. That's great. And if you think so too, please do let the world know. When we were gone, this conversation, it kept going over on the Star Wars spoilers, State of the Empire, and Willow Watch Facebook group. You should definitely look us up. If ever we ourselves go behind the blast door, that's where we'll be. That's where you'll be able to get a hold of us when we're not able to churn out episodes on a regular schedule, which hopefully won't happen ever again, but eh, you never know. We got a lot going on. Shit gets busy, but we're going to try to be regular about it, and uh, we appreciate everybody who kept the conversation going and kept us kept us really uh, hooked up with a lot of great links, a lot of great discussions throughout the uh, the short hiatus this year. And um, shop on Amazon. Everything we talked about we'll be linking to, and if you follow our Amazon links, they will give back to Nerdy Show and State of the Empire. If you really, really love what we do, you can fund us directly. Head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow and subscribe at whichever level suits you best. But if you subscribe at $5 or more, we can guarantee you probably at this point hours of state of the empire bonus content and extended conversations so i guess i guess that's it i guess that's it but we'll hopefully we'll see you at star wars celebration if you're going to be there uh definitely drop us a line on the facebook group that's probably the best way to get a hold of all of us and and we'll see you there but for now let's open those blast doors open the blast doors open the blast doors so the loss of carrie fisher the very tragic and very horrible thing and there are a lot of rumors going on about how that would affect the films going forward. We've got our own theories on that. We've got some other information, but let's let's first take a look at what Lucasfilm publicly said addressing these rumors of maybe recreating Princess Leia and CGI. A post called A Statement Regarding New Rumors. It said, We don't normally respond to fan or press speculation, but there's a rumor circulating that we would like to address. We want to assure our fans that Lucasfilm has no plans to digitally recreate Carrie Fisher's performance as Princess or General Leia Organa. Carrie Fisher was, is, and always will be a part of the Lucasfilm family. She was our princess, our general, and more importantly, our friend. We're still hurting from her loss. We cherish her memory and legacy as Princess Leia, and will always strive to honor everything she gave to Star Wars. Which is a really fantastic sentiment, but confusing, actually. It, it's very confusing. I mean, it, it's funny because I, like, I love that second paragraph. It's everything I would have wanted to hear them say, but the the title for the statement and then like that first thing... like. First of all, they they lie. They no plans to digitally recreate Carrie Fisher's performance as Princess Leia. Like they just did. I know she wasn't dead yet, but like it was a very strangely worded, you know, sentence in and of itself. And also, I I, I feel like this is a whole like downside of the social media age, in which so many people were able to talk about what can, what will happen, and what can happen in future episodes. That like we needed to know now, and. I feel like prior to the Twitter and things like that, we would have just had to place our trust that they were going to do the best they could telling a story, whether that was recreating her or writing her out or just like having her character off somewhere else. Like it's just a very strange thing that we had to have that answer now because the internet is the way it is. Yeah. And what's more, it came shockingly fast after these rumors started. Yes. And so fast that I questioned whether or not they'd actually had time to process that decision at all. Because if the difference between... 
uh, writing out Leia from the story gracefully, uh, if if it would be between doing it gracefully and doing it sloppily because they just made a public statement that they're not going to use any CGI to recreate her when they might in fact need to for the sake of the story. Right. They just said they're not going to do it. Right. They even they did it for Paul Walker. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that movie's got flaws, but I think the the ending was a <laughs> suitable. <laughs> that movie's got a lot, um, but you know. It, <sighs> I don't know. It just seems like a very, very like knee-jerk reaction that doesn't serve itself by talking about it now, I guess. I don't know why they felt the yeah. need. But I guess, I, I, like I said, I think that's the internet. I think they felt the need to talk about it because some people were outraged at the very idea that you would digitally recreate somebody after they died. Well, at least someone who they assumed was as popular as Carrie Fisher. I mean, people weren't exactly outraged when they did it for Paul Walker, but... Uh, Part or of Grandma talking for well, yeah, but 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 part of the rumors that they're wanting to address is the anger at the possibility of them doing that, and and some people thinking that would be disrespectful. So I can imagine, I can see why they would say we have to address this quickly. We have to calm people down, let them know that you know we're, we're not going to tamper but, with her legacy. But that's but that's what I mean. It's like they had to calm everybody down now. Like it's almost like people can't just have a little time for outrage. Like what what is the statute of limitations on being like it, it's not. To me, it's not a length of time that that is disrespectful because, you know, Peter Cushing was in, you know, Rogue One, so to speak, and nobody's outraged just be, and it's not necessarily because of time. I mean, I'm sure that's a, an aspect of it, but it's also because is it serving the story well? Like, I think if, you know, Episode Nine comes out, which, by the way, it doesn't even come out till, you know, 2019, like... Two years will have passed, which I think is sufficient to not have it like on the heels of her death. And if it serves the story well, then why not do a recreation? They've already they've already done it. You know, they've already did it while she was alive, and they already did it to Peter Cushing when he was dead. Like, I, I don't understand. Death is a weird thing and- in Western society. We have a hard time with it. And I think this is like you know, people needed an answer and closure right away, which is it's a strange thing. I mean, I do. I don't want to see a. Uh, I don't want to see what they did to Grandma Moff Tarkin for Carrie Fisher. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see her on screen being you know digitally puppeted beyond the grave. Like I said, if it if it serves the story well, if if it was just you know her, you know I don't know giving a speech or or like you know the 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 amount of her role in you know uh, Force Awakens, you know that's that's totally different than like you know i don't want her like running with a blaster down the hallway as like a cg recreation but you know i think there's a way certainly with two years to go and i'm sure they're doing rewrites rewrites on episode nine still i mean can't they approach it with you know rewriting it and and maybe it is better served you know somehow writing her off appropriately in episode eight this, this just makes me it. wonder that the reason why they may have responded so quickly is that maybe they were sure that they weren't going to have to recreate her because maybe there is a really clean cut exit point for her already in the film. That's a good point. I mean, they have said that she had a significant role in episode nine, but maybe now they can kind of spin it towards like, oh, you know, like maybe that wasn't true. And now it looks like her character's departure might be something that was planned after the fact. Oh, or it could just be that if whatever footage, that maybe they had footage for her from episode nine already. Well, I guess that wouldn't make sense if they had it already filmed. I mean, haven't even gotten the script finished yet on what it sounds like. So, yeah. 
So we've been talking about Leia being in episode nine. That is confirmed. That is like a thing. She was she she did have a contract for all three films, according to Hollywood Reporter sources. Um, between episodes eight and nine, Leia was going to have a reunion with Luke, a confrontation with Kylo Ren, and uh, was going to have a larger role in the ninth movie than the eighth. Um, and we do know that a couple weeks after her death, Colin Trevorrow had basically an emergency meeting with Kathleen Kennedy to figure out how to proceed. We also do know that uh, among those things listed, the one that probably did happen was a reunion with Luke. That probably does happen in episode eight. Uh, Oscar Isaac, upon hearing the news that Carrie had died, um, set, uh, posted a photo to the internet, really great photo of her and Mark together, seemingly hanging out behind the scenes at Pinewood. Now, granted, there's all kinds of filming that goes on at Pinewood, but it does. Luke was wearing a hooded robe. It seems like they were probably shooting a scene together. Yeah, it's 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 very um, not likely that they would be there. At least, like it looks like partially in costume at the very least, unless they were filming together. Yeah, which is yeah. If if they didn't have a scene together, or if they were if they weren't filming a scene together, they wouldn't both be there at the same time. Because when you're paying them that much salary, they're not going to waste it. Yeah, it would be super weird if that weren't the case. So I, I'm, I think that happened. And something you might remember from prior Blastor's State of the Empire conversations is that, from what we heard, Leia is critically injured in Episode Eight, And... Now I suppose the question is, how are they going to handle that? Because that's a great opportunity to kill that character and to do it in a way that, you know, one, they actually filmed, and two, was organic. But, I mean, certainly because these films as a trilogy go together, having Leia have an off-screen death out of nowhere or something, that that's not going to fly. It's not going to seem right. So, But would they also put fans through the heartbreak of seeing Carrie Fisher die on screen. I think they would um, if they decide to go with that strategy, just because, I mean, well, I mean, what what if the worst happened to Harrison Ford and uh, he flew his plane into another golf course, you know, two weeks before the movie opened? I mean, like, would they cut that scene of him getting stabbed, you know? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they're going to handle this. I just hope it's best for the story. Yeah, and and I hope it's also not distracting from yeah, not distracting from the story that's actually going on. Like every time she's on screen in episode eight com- this coming December, I'm going to be thinking about Carrie Fisher and what went into the production after her death. And that's already going to be weird enough. But I don't know. It's definitely. I don't think it's going to be anything but distracting, to be honest, which is unfortunate. I mean, I might we'll be asking see. the wrong group of people here, but were either of you distracted during The Dark Knight, knowing that Heath Ledger was dead in reality? You know, honestly, I was not. And I don't know if no. that is a a, a a testament to the movie itself, uh, Dark Knight, which I am not. I enjoyed Dark Knight, not to the level that a lot of people did. But I also think it also has a lot to do with that you know, that was his first movie in that saga. Whereas Carrie Fisher is like a culturally significant character. Leia is from a previous trilogy that now she's, you know, trying to finish up. 
So I think that's a little bit different. I think, you know, the character deserves an ending and she deserves an ending that is complementary to the character that doesn't necessarily pander to our collective loss. I just want it to be right. Which (laughs) I could argue that living actor Harrison Ford was not given that uh, treatment. (laughs) It's a fair argument. Yeah. (laughs) I I hate his death in uh, Force Awakens, not because he died, but because it just was not very much in character with with uh, Han Solo. And the reactions of his friends certainly weren't in character. Oh, God. Talk about tone deaf. (laughs) Like Leia running to go hug Rey. I'll never never forgive them for doing that. Actually, I believe if you crack open the dictionary, it shows, it plays a gif of that. (laughs) We got, we got one final note from episode eight and that is maybe the force tree. You might remember Either a random episode of The Clone Wars featuring a force tree at the Jedi Temple, or perhaps more so the extremely strange and not very good Greg Rucka penned uh, comic series Shattered Empire, where uh, it takes place just after the events of Return of the Jedi. That was kind of a big deal at the time uh, in the new canon. And Poe Dameron's parents were given by Luke a sapling force tree that had been like kept away in some secret installation by Palpentine. Luke kept one, they kept one, and Poe Dameron grew up with a force tree in his yard, basically. But what happened to Luke's? Where did it go? So, there is a large tree seen in some Jedi Temple exterior set photos recently. Millennium Falcon's nearby. And more recently, making Star Wars sources have seen images of that tree engulfed in flames. Uh, this is another one that worries me <laughs> of like forced trees. I don't, it's, I, I don't know why it just sounds dumb as hell to me. And the idea of like, there being a lot, a large emphasis on this more than just like, I don't know, like the, the, the making the fact that this is also going to be burning suggests that this is also like, it's going to be a big deal. So it's, it pretty much says that this is going to be important, but I just can't imagine how they can make this cool. <laughs> Was it too fern gully for you, Doug? It's, yeah, it's it's, it, it's to me it suggests that it's like that the the force is more tangible. The more attributes you attach to it, the less of a mystery it has. Like there's force trees, and now there's force fish, and now there's force camels, and it's like what the to, fuck, man. To be fair, Luke did go into a force cave in Dagobah. No, it's a fucking metaphor. The cave was in his mind. That's the point. Well, I mean. It- uh, I mean, Yoda did lit- literally, you know, strong in the dark side is that place and only what you take with you. I mean, there there is a certain tangibility to it. I think that was what was special about Dagobah is that, it, you know, it overflowed with the force and life and that things had physical manifestations of, of the force. And it's actually one of the few things that I think Clone Wars did well is when they connected all the Qui-Gon stuff, you know, about the living force and whatnot with Yoda and Dagobah in the final, final season. But um, let's be honest, this is what happened with the expanded universe, and this is what happens whenever you continue to go down the path of telling more and more stories in, in a, a universe and a saga is things will get more tangible. They will constantly be explaining more and more because that just seems to be the only place that stories can go. Like, it's a problem that like the Game of Thrones book series is having 
is that it's just explaining more and more about the way magic and mysteries work. And I just, I think it's just something we're going to have to accept. I mean, did we not learn our lesson about the midi-chlorians? <sighs> Probably should have. But... I mean, seriously. Like, well, to me, it's the same thing to me. If Luke says, hey, Ray, so this tree is a tree that is uh, of a variety that it, that is imbued with the power of the Force, all the forces in all living things, but this particular tree has the ability to to channel it in its own uh, in its own life energy, not like you or I, but it has special powers and it's very important. And the Jedi's had them at the Jedi Temple, and it's a very ancient and important thing. And she's like, "Okay, cool. That sounds mystical and neat. Tight. That's 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 super tight, Uncle Luke. Thanks." Um, and he's like, "Yeah, I know. It's real tight." And then Kylo Ren shows up and he's like, fuck you, burn it down and peeing on it too. <laughs> Eat my dick, Luke, I hate you. <laughs> if that happened, what, what about that, Doug? How do you, how's that make you feel? To be honest, I, I think the only way you could make it cool for me at this moment is, okay, yeah, sure, Kylo Ren showing up and burning it, but underplaying the importance of it, in fact, just toning down the importance of it, like, for, for example, if they instead said, Oh, this the reason why this tree is important and the reason why it has like force sensitive properties for whatever fucking reason is if Luke is looking for like the first Jedi temple from like a millennia ago, the idea that these force trees aren't even like all that special as much as they're saplings cut from the original tree. Like the same way like they say like uh, orange trees, like all of our orange trees today, they're all like cut from like the same species. Like, you know, they're all like they're all literally cut from the same original tree It's like a spawning of a spawning of a spawning. If it's the same idea with this, like that could be kind of cool where it's almost more symbolic. But well, I well, I mean, you're not far off, Doug, because the force trees as they were in Shattered Empire, the two pieces were specifically saplings taken from the tree at the Jedi Temple by Palpatine and put in a like uh, imperial facility like a lab and it was like recovered by luke and then given to poe dameron's future mother like one of them was and then he kept the other so like they were sort of like you know remnants of the jedi legacy so to speak and as a matter of fact like just you know trying to refresh my memory on the the, the force sensitive tree from shattered empire like I came across this quote from greg rucka about it he said, if he's trying to recover knowledge, you know, it's like, I don't want to do a holocron. Holocrons have been done. Don't do that. And I hear Pablo and Leland, you know, from the story group. And they're like, yeah, not another holocron. And we've been talking a lot about Palpatine really wanted to know about how horrible he was. And I think it was Pablo who said, you know what? You should use the tree from the Jedi Temple from the Clone Wars cartoon. And I was like, oh, that's a fantastic idea. And that's where it came from. It was quite literally a story group saying, use a tree. And that's such a beautiful metaphor. And it's a perfect metaphor for what the galaxy is like after Return of the Jedi. So it doesn't sound like they were planning ahead with this tree for the sake of using it in a future uh, saga film. But you're not far off on, on it having significance of the idea of, you know, being a sapling of like a Jedi order that's been like uprooted. And then, you yeah. know, trying to regrow it. Yeah, just the, the symbolism is more interesting to me than them being like, oh, if you can hone your ability... You can lay your hands on the bark, and you can see into the past and commune with people long dead. I'll be like, "Give me, just get the fuck out oh, of here!" God, like, like where are, is this going? Are... <laughs> it sounds like it's going towards the the most recent Game of Thrones book. 
<laughs> I mean, literally, just uh, sorry, spoilers, but I guess we are hey, behind, we're behind the blast, the blast doors. doors. And apparently, we're also behind uh, the Game of Thrones equivalent, which is, I guess, the uh, we're behind, behind the, the Hodors. Hodor. <laughs> it's like it's like a crossover between Game of Thrones and the prequels. Oh, so and, it's uh, shitty, there, and it steals from Game of Thrones. Uh, third, well, there's a lot of Game of Thrones. Uh, I mean, from the crew to the cast, there's a lot going on between these uh, these series right now, and where they film. I, I'm just I I just hate it when things are taken literally and we're losing. It's like oh you you're you're bound to lose the mystery. I'm like no you don't. It's just symbolism and metaphor. Like these are the things that can carry the the whole Star Wars mythology is based on metaphor. It's its foundation. So to suddenly say oh midi chlorians that ruins things. Oh here the force tree you know eat the fruit from the force tree it'll give you power. It's just like it's just hitting you over the head with literal interpretations that are just stupid in the long run. Right. I took the um, the midi chlorians. At least I don't. Probably not initially, because I think I, I would probably not have the age to think too hard on it. Then I saw it as both like a comparison tool for the sake of the movie of just saying like, "Oh shit, Anakin is like significant," and then also later on that like with this whole that the Jedi Order had lost its way that they start talking about in, in Attack of Clones: Revenge of Sith that like they had gotten to the point where they were quantifying the Force. Which was a big deal. And then when you get much later on, when you get back towards, you know, Yoda and Dagobah and, and some, you know, them turning things around, that it wasn't so much about that, like, the scientific aspects of the Force. It was more about, like, life itself. So I think they could definitely use the tree and the way it relates to life and the Force in a very significant way in this movie. That it can be metaphorical, not necessarily, like, this tree is going to, like, kill a knight of ren in this movie i just don't want any of james cameron's avatar in this movie (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough we'll see how it goes it could just be like a flavor thing like if you read shattered empire you'd be like oh damn and then but in the film it doesn't matter it's just a thing that happens it's just some dumb thing kylo does to piss off luke because he's a bratty little fuck i think i think after shattered empire the tree became luke's chewbacca like it's like his buddy, and he, he replants it on every planet he goes to, and uh, oh, so it's like Groot. We can get a crossover comic with that. Ooh, there we go. Well, you'll hear from us very soon. Maybe you'll even see us at Star Wars Celebration, and uh, we got when well, we got so many, so many great episodes planned for you in the coming weeks and months. So thank you so much for listening to this State of the Empire. We'll see you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.